life as we know it is turned upside down. And it can happen in a moment's notice. The Bible says that it's appointed in a man to die and, and then face God. And Scripture tells us that we don't know the length of our days, but God does. And we're not to worry about that because they're in God's hands. And none of us die a moment too soon or a moment too late. It's always within the framework that God has established before the world ever was. And there can be something very fearful in that. Something can be tremendously comforting in that. So I titled this message tonight, we'll be in John chapter 11. If you have a Bible, you'll be able to flip there. I'm going to give you a few passages beforehand, just by way of introduction into this. When I think about as a pastor, like I said, I've been doing this for a lot of years. And when I have the, the choice between doing a, a wedding and a funeral, I always choose a funeral. If I could, you know, weddings to me, I tease people at weddings. I'll say, if I've done your wedding, you probably heard me say this. I said, they're here today. They think this is a wedding, but really it's a funeral, right? Because when you get married, guess what? You're going to die. You're going to die to yourself. Words like me and mine, I, those things got to go out the window. And now you got to start using words like we, ours, us. And if you're the man, you got to yours. It just works that way. And so there's a lot of death that's involved with that. But a funeral, on the other hand, if you're a believer, a funeral is a wedding because the Bible says to what? To be absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. Yeah, you're at home. Matter of fact, the psalmist says that your death day is actually better than your birthday because God created you for himself. And what happened, obviously, was we go back to the book of Genesis and the fall of man and Adam and Eve sinned against God. And when sin came into the world, what did the Lord tell them? He said, if you eat of this fruit, in that day, you'll surely what? Perish. Yeah, you'll die. Did Adam and Eve die that day? No. You guys study the book of Genesis. How long did Adam live? Did anybody have a just a guesstimate? You can think of that off the top of your head. Adam lived to be 930 years. So after the fall, he lives for 930 years. And you go, so... What did God mean that you will surely die? What happened in the moment that they sinned against God is they died spiritually. Their relationship with God was broken at that point. They didn't have gnosko. You think about what they had when they started before the fall was it says they walked in the garden with God, that he met them in the cool of the afternoon and he walked with them and talked with them. And when they sinned against God, it broke off that fellowship. And you go, man, what a heartbreak. We were spiritually dead, separated from God. Our sin has separated us from God. And Jesus came into this world to do what? To die on a cross, to buy us back, to purchase the right for you and I to now come back to God and to enjoy intimacy with him. When you study the Old Testament, we know that there was only one person that could have gnosko with God. And who was that in the Old Testament? That would have been the high what? priest who would once a year, I was sharing this on Sunday, go beyond the veil, right? He would go from the holy place into the most holy place. We read that. And there he could pour the blood of the sacrifice on top of the Ark of the Covenant, right? And, and that blood there on top of the mercy seat, then it says in them, the glory, the Shekinah of God would come down and God would visit that, that, that moment, that time in, in the temple. 
But if the high priest wasn't right with God, what would happen to that high priest? He would die. Yeah. So again, God's holy. And so he, and there, so there's only one person. And that's the ultimate in the Old Testament was only the high priest. And everything was pointing to a day, though, that Jesus himself would pay the penalty. In the Old Testament, when sin was paid for, and you know, I really I love this when you truly understand it, is that our sin in the Old Testament was covered. That's all that it was. It was covered. But because of the blood of Jesus, it wasn't covered. It was what? It was removed. There's a difference. They covered it, and then it only lasted for one year, and you had to keep coming back and again. But the writer of Hebrews tells us that when our high priest, Jesus, when he went beyond the veil, it says once and for all, he died once and for all, that now we could, in Hebrews 4, we could come, what, boldly before the throne of grace. So we can talk to God when? Once a year? Some people do that, right? We have, we, Larry said that on, on Christmas. He goes, hey, welcome, you CEO Christians. You what? Christmas and Easter only. And, and the world's full of them. And, and will God still talk to them on Christmas and Easter? Yes. Yeah. But to think about this, the God of heaven, the God of creation, we can speak to him every single moment. And yet, do we take advantage of that? Like I said, that's what God desires. But because of their sin, they were cut off and they missed that. And so we know that sin entered into the world. And because of that, as the Bible says, that for the wages of sin is death, right? death. Death came, Paul said, death came through Adam and Eve, but death did what? It spread to all men, all of us. And we know that we're sinners because why? Because one day we're going to die. Our mortality must put on immortality, as Paul writes to the church at Corinth. We, we're we're going to die. And when we die, again, we're going to receive, the Bible says, a resurrected body. And then once all believers of all time come together, then together with the Lord, we will receive a glorified body. I couldn't tell you what either one of those things are. I can just tell you that they are, that you'll be clothed and then you'll be glorified with the Lord one day. And he gives us glimpses and he gives us ideas what this entails. But he makes a, a distinction in the life of the believer. And I think about this being prepared. If you were asking yourself today, because like I said, you don't know, the key is be ready, right? To always be ready. And in, in your heart tonight, can you say that you're ready to meet Jesus? And I don't know the answer to that, but I want you to think about that. Are you ready if tonight, if God, and I won't even say God forbid, because as Paul said, he goes, my desire is to what? Is to be with the Lord, right? He goes, Paul said, man, if I had it, if it was up to me, he said, I would depart and go be with the Lord. He said, but I'm still here. And he said, the reason I'm here, he goes, it's for your benefit. It's for your sake. He goes, but if it was up to me, man, I'm, I am out of here. That's not a defeatist mode. That's a victorious mode that he's going, the, the best thing that could ever happen to us, if we really comprehended this, we would be longing not for death, but be longing for what? The appearance of the Lord. As Paul writes to the church in Thessalonians, right? He said that the dead in Christ, that the rapture of the church, that's still an event that's in the future for us, could be tonight. He said, the dead in Christ will arise first, and those of us who remain will be caught up in the air, right? Be caught up together with the Lord to be with him forever. That's God's desire. But the key is, are we ready for that? When I do a funeral, I will always ask. I go, if it's a believer's funeral, especially, because I'll say, hey, so-and-so, they're here. 
today. They have died, and but they love Jesus. And I know for a fact, based on the Word of God, that they are in the very presence of God right now. Their body's still here. It's like a good candy bar. The wrapper's with us, but man, the, the product is in heaven. Their soul is in the very presence of Jesus right now. And we can rest in that. We can rejoice in that. And they go, so here's the question. If you're in Christ today, you're here going, yes, there's sorrow for us. And we're going to read that. You go, but if you're not in Christ today, man, it's not see you soon. It's goodbye. It's goodbye because you will never, ever see them again. And I go, and I can't, to, for the life of me, do you know how much that should break our heart to know that you love somebody? and that you'll never, ever see them again. How empty that is to think with life without God, that you just live and you fall in love with people. You have, if you have a spouse, you've got children, you've got friends, and they all die, and then there's no God. And you go, and, and you talk about the most empty feeling in the world. But to have this hope, the believer's hope, that one day we're all going to be reunited with Jesus. You go, man, that's my greatest comfort. And to be able to share that with people, and I go, there's an invitation, and it'll be in John chapter 11 as we get into this. But I'll always start in Romans, or excuse me, in John chapter 14. I love when I can go to somebody who's dying and lost count how many people that is, but going to them and sitting with them at, while they're alive, not while they're on a, a deathbed on a respirator or something, but when they're they are coherent and they can sit and they can listen and to open up God's word with them and, and to think John chapter 14, Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. He said, you believe in God. He said, believe in me also. He said, for in my father's house are many mansions. And he said, and if it wasn't, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you and that where I am, you may be also. And I go, just think about that. I go, all that's happening right now and the comfort that you can provide in that, you go, in God's house are many mansions and he has prepared a place for you. And guess what? For you, it's ready. And he's coming for you and he's going to take you home. Home is where Jesus is. I say like in my people go, hey, Mike, where, where's home for you? You know, home is wherever my wife is, wherever Lee is at. That's my home. I don't care if I live in the house that we live in. I don't care if we lived in an RV. I don't care if we lived in a tent or a teepee. It would not make any difference. She will always be my home on this earth. That is life for me is in that relationship with her. But as the believer, my home and your home is in heaven. That we're pilgrims passing through. How many eat well, by the way, just to digress for a second. You'd say you eat pretty well. You're a pretty healthy eater. You're going to be so sad when you get to heaven. You're going to get to heaven and you're going to see, they're going to have all these delicacies, everything that you like, but you were disciplined on earth and you didn't eat those things. They're going to be in heaven and you're going to sit there and you're going to eat those things. And then you're going to see it's heaven. And you're going to go, why didn't I eat all that stuff earlier? I could have got here a lot faster. I'm just, but you think about that. We are so worried about dying, right? And it's not that we have a death wish, but you go, but seriously, we get so worried. We do all this to try to live. We're going to all get to heaven one day and we're going to be looking. What are we thinking? What are we thinking? Because think of it this way. You talk to people and I, and like I said, I, I love some forms of country music. I like uh, Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. They would do, they did a tour together. 
as husband and wife and my wife and I, we, we went to a concert they had and I laughed at this song because it was, what do you do when you're hit? I found Tug McGraw was Tim McGraw's dad. He was a baseball pitcher or player and he got cancer and he died. So the song was dedicated. He didn't write it, but he dedicated it to his dad. And he said, hey, what did you do in the song? It says, what did you do when you got the news that you were dying? And you guys probably know the song. He said, I went what? I went skydiving. Come on. You don't know. You can sing it. No, I just, you go, I went what? Rocky Mountain climbing. I rode so many seconds on a bull named what? Fu Manchu. You go, and that's what the world does. It does things. You go, oh, I want to do this before I die. I want to go here and I want to go here. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And we think in the world that's all about, in a sense, me. But for the believer, it's not about stuff. It's about a relationship. It's like Paul said, hey, I'm just one day closer than when we first believed. There's this myth in the United States of America that all you have to do to go to heaven is die. People believe that. I've been to hundreds of funerals. Many of them I didn't do. I just went because I knew the person and I'm sitting there and they're going, and this guy didn't love the Lord, had no relationship with God. And the pastor is standing up there or the priest oftentimes is going and they're in the presence of Jesus today and they're with God. And, and sometimes they go, they're at the big poker game up in heaven today. They're at the golf course at heaven today. They're the, for the women, the bridge club and the go group and, and whatever that they have. And you're going, really? And then people, you go, what do you think heaven is? And they go, they just think heaven is what? It's an extension of earth, but without dying any longer. You just get to do whatever you're doing. Have no concept or clue who God is. And then you talk to people, maybe you've done this, and you'll share and you'll go, hey, let me tell you about, they go, what are we going to do in heaven? You ever asked that? They go, are we going to just sit on clouds and play a harp? You got to wear like a white, like a robe thing. I've had people ask me that. I go, where'd you get that? Go, well, you look at pictures. And I go, is that what you want to do? And they go, no. And I go, what do you think heaven is about? And they go, I don't know. That's why. And I go, it's the worship of Jesus. And seriously, I, I love when people are just honest about it. And they go, Pastor Mike, why would I want to do that? What do you mean? And they go, just sing to Jesus for eternity. And I go, no, it's not just that, but that's we get to. I really don't like to sing. I go, wow. I go, you would in heaven because it'll be so awesome. You go to sing his praises and to think you go, that it's just natural. It'll just come out. And trust me, maybe you don't like to sing now because you got a lousy voice. I, I get that. I go, but you have a good voice. You want to sing. I go, guess what? It's heaven. You'll have a good voice. Here we make a joyful noise, right? And only God loves it. The people next to you are going, oh my, please. Yeah. <laughs> then, but you look at them, you go, but they're sincere. We love them. Praise God. But there you're going to have this wonderful voice. I love to be able to sit and tell him, I go, man, God is, he's doing this wonderful thing. He's preparing a place and you're going to get to be with him. But the only way that you can be with him is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Unless you have confessed that you are a sinner, well, they go, what's a sinner? Well, a sinner is somebody who's disobeyed God, who's missed the mark of God's perfection. Everybody's done that. And you go, that's right. For all have sinned. That's what his word says. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God wants you. He, he does love you. And he came and he gave his life on Calvary's cross. He died for my sin and your sin. So that in him, he who knew no sin, the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. 
that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He died so that you and I could live. And the way that we appropriate that in our life is we come to God and we agree with God. And you go, God, I am a sinner. I have missed the mark. And I'm asking you to forgive me. And I go, if you'll ask him to forgive you, his word says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will forgive you of your sin and he will cleanse you. And then he'll do something even better. It says he will fill you with himself. He will fill you with the very spirit of God so that you can have gnosis, so that you never have to be alone in this life again. Yes, you'll have hard days. Renee was sharing about a student going through troubled times, but kids can have a relationship with Jesus just as an adult can. And he comes to them and he will be with you and he'll be with you as David prayed and declared in the Psalms, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. And all of a sudden you go, life isn't about doing things. Life is about a relationship. And when you cultivate that relationship, when I'm away from my wife, I just confess, I'm, I, I'm, I get lonely. I miss her. I just want to go home. We go, we were in Israel this last year and I was like, after it's, is the trip over? You look like you're having fun. I am having fun. But if I had my choice and you could ask my wife, you look, I, I don't go any place. I have opportunities to travel and to speak places. I just like being with my wife. I love my wife. And I don't have to even be doing anything with her. It's just look, seeing her across the room. It's that thing. It's not that we were even talking. She's, we're just there. And I, and I think about my relationship with the Lord. It's just that joy that you have that you know that he's with you. It's not that you're talking to him 100% of the time or he's talking to you. But you have this sense that, he, that he's there and you have a longing within you. And that gets cultivated the more you spend time with him. The more you pray, the more you read the word. Guess what? You're going to discover. It's been well said that if you find yourself in this life unable to satisfy your own desires, that you'll find within yourself that you were created for another place. And it's an amazing thing when you think about that, that this world you find in time, if, as you fall in love with Jesus, there's really nothing that the world has to offer you any longer. What you want is the things that God wants for you. And so it's not, I can't wait to die. It's no, it's because in the truest sense, you can't die. That, that's what he's going he's gonna to draw out here. If you look at this with me, and we're, we're just going to gonna focus on really just a, a couple things here. In John chapter 11, I'm going to read this with you all the way through, and then just I want to focus on two thoughts in this. But I want to read this with you. John chapter 11, it says, verse 1, I'm reading from the NLT. It says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. And so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. And in some passages, your translation might say, the one that you love. And I love that because it's not saying the one who loves you. My love for the Lord, your love for the Lord, it can go like this you know, at times. But Jesus' love is never in question. And yet he doesn't use the word agape here. This is what's so powerful in this. He says, the one that you, and he uses the word, if you, in your translation, it should say, like it does in the NLT, should say friend. It's the word phileo. It's not agape. It's not that God's kind of love. He says, the one that you phileo, your Lord, your dear phileo is very sick. And what is that saying? He's going, this one that you like. It's one thing, God loves the world, right? He loves everybody. But you could say, does he like everybody? 
I remember my mom and dad get into fights when I was a kid, and sometimes my mom would look at my dad, and my dad's name was Clint, she, but he had a nickname, which was Skip. And she'd go, Skip, and she'd be so mad. She goes, Skip, she goes, I love you. But right now, I don't. And at first, I was thinking, well, isn't that, isn't like higher or lower than, and you go, no, it's actually higher, because we're all called to love even our enemies, but you don't have to like them. That's something special about that, that I like you. I know even for my wife, when I can say, you know what? I don't just love you, but I like you. I like being able to spend time with you. And that's what he's saying here. This is my phileo. This is my friend. He says, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Okay. He says, no, it happens. You go, he's saying it's not going to end in death. He knows what's going to happen. That's what I want you to understand. Jesus is God, right? He's omniscient, meaning what? He's omniscient. He's all knowing, right? Yeah. He knows everything. He says, no, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So now it's been four days. It says, but his disciples objected. It's only 20 miles away if you look on a map. So he's only about 20 miles from where they're at. He says, let's go back to Judea. It says, but his disciples objected. They said, Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? And when Hebrews 9 tells us that, again, it's appointed to man to die and then face judgment. Jesus, what he's saying there is, I'm immortal, that you, I'm in the will of God. I, I tell you this all the time. The safest place for you and I to be in this world is in the center of God's will. When you are in the will of God, you are immortal. It doesn't matter what the world will try to do to you. If God can protect a baby from being killed, can he protect me and you? Absolutely. And does he? You go, absolutely. So you won't die a day early. Okay. It's not going to be a mistake. You go, oh, it was an act. You go, won't be in heaven. Okay. You're going to understand that one day. And he says, but there are 12 hours in, of daylight and every day during the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of the world, but at night there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. And then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. There's the difference. In Christ Jesus tonight, you can know this. If you're in Christ, what the world will say when you die, the Bible says you fell asleep. What is the difference between death and sleeping? You tell me. What is, the, what is death when you think of death? Permanent. Finality, right? When you think of asleep, what do you think of? What's that? I, I'm not. Yeah. So you just, if you think of a nap, if somebody said, I'm taking a nap, do they go, oh, God, he's dying. He's... You go, no. As if you're a child, do you think that, right? If I tell my grandkids, you need to take a nap. Oh, if I say to my wife, hey, you need to take a nap, she's going, really? There's a difference, right? Now you, oh, I get to take a nap. You go, but when you think of a nap, it's refreshing. I'm going to go to sleep because I'm tired and I want to wake up refreshed in the morning, right? So he's talking about for the believer, what the world says is dying, Jesus says it's a nap. Because what? To be absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. Yeah. And Paul would write this, and he told this to the church at Thessalonica again, chapter 4. See, in the church at Thessalonica, Paul was only there four weeks. So you read Thessalonians, and you're going, man, it was a very short time. He was trying to teach them a lot of things. They had family members that were dying. They believed in the rapture. They believed that Jesus was going to come for his bride, and he was going to snatch them away, and he was going to take them home to be with him. But they thought you had to be alive. They were going, what if you're dead? Then you're going to miss it, right? Because 
they'll be in the ground and he's going to come. And, and Paul says, no, let me tell you, yeah. the dead in Christ, well, what? They're going to arise first and be caught up with us who remain, who are alive. And we will together go and we will be with the Lord forever, right? That word there he uses is the word asleep because they're just asleep. Paul, and again, in Corinthians, the same thing, that they sleep. There's a difference there for the believer. I love that expression that says, die once, live twice. You have a choice. Die once, live twice. And what would you think that means, spiritually speaking? Die once, live twice. Would be die to yourself, right? Live for God. You will live physically, right? And you will live spiritually. You will live now, and you'll also live for what? All eternity, right? Or you have the option of living once and dying twice. What does that mean? You don't have to walk with God. You'll live one time, but you're going to die twice. What are the deaths that you'll die? There's spiritual death, yeah, and a physical death, right? So he's going, the option, it's there. But Jesus came, John 10, 10 says that he came that we might have life. Everything about God is about living. He's life-giving. He's life-restoring. And so he says in verse 12, it says, So the disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. So they don't understand what Jesus is, is saying here, right? So they literally just think he's asleep. And says, and they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So in the earthly physical term, he was saying, yes, he is physically dead. Some of your translations say that he's four days in the grave and he what? He stinketh. Well, why does it say stinketh? If you study this before, right? Because the body begins to decompose on the fourth day. So they're going, Lord, we know you do not want to touch a body in the fourth day because it stinketh, right? So we'll see this as it plays out. So he says, and for your sakes, he says in verse 15, he says, I'm glad I wasn't there. He says, for now you will really believe what's he about to do. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And there's another reason in this, and we'll get there as we come along. He says, come, now let's go see him. It says, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, this is where you really get it wrong. He goes, Let's go, too, so we can die with Jesus, right? Hey, everybody's dying. Okay, kumbaya, my Lord. Yeah, we're all going to die. So at least they were in it together. It's good to have a friend like that, right? You go, hey, you're, I'm going to die. They go, okay, I'll die, too. You go, good, I don't want to go alone. So we're in this, and people do that. But he says, verse 17, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. So he's stinking. They know this is trouble, right? This Bethany was only a few miles, like I said, 20 miles down the road from Jerusalem. Many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, and again, what is she doing? It's what we all do. She's looking at Jesus through the lens of her own life, her own circumstances here. And she says, Lord, if only you had been here. So Again, in one sense, she's blaming Jesus, right? Jesus, if you would have been here, there's, you don't pick it up without, just in the word, you can't see the emphasis. It doesn't give you tone for sure in how she's feeling. She goes, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. So at least she has this belief that, hey, you know what? She's never seen a resurrection before, but she believes that. I know if you just ask God, does she believe in the power of prayer? Is that pretty safe to say that she... She believes that? You go, absolutely. 
She's going, I know, what does Jesus say? With God, all things are what? With God, all things are possible, right? With men, what's, what? He's going, wow, but with God, and you go, of all the things, like I said, of what we should be doing more and more in our life is what? Praying. But why don't we pray? Because we rely more on ourselves than we do of God. God becomes oftentimes in our life, sadly, is what? The last resort. Instead of the first thing that we think of, you go, hey, before we do anything, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's seek God. Let's see what he desires. But a lot of times you just, oh, yeah, man, did you pray? And people even ask you, did you pray about that? No. Thanks for asking. And yet Jesus says there in verse 23, it says, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. He says, yes, Martha. He said, he will rise again when every when everybody else rises, when the last day. So they've got some theology. They've been walking with Jesus. You go, yes, at, at the end times, the second coming, the, okay, yes, the rapture, whatever. Yeah, he'll, he'll rise, not today. And, she, and then Jesus, look what he says. He told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me. Who's that? Who'd he say? Anyone. Does that include you? Yes, you're anyone. Get this tonight. You're in Christ. You are anyone. He says, Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. What does he mean? Because he's talking about the word death. Death, what do we say? Is finality. He goes, the worst that can happen to you is taking a nap. Is taking a nap. Because as soon as you close your eyes, you're going to open them again. When you die, do you reopen your eyes? People die. You go, no. If you're dead, right? That's it. No eyes open. But if you went to sleep, you're going to open your eyes again. That's called sleep. That's called a nap. And that's what he says. He who believes in me, though he were dead in the world's eyes, said, no, you, it's just sleeping. It's a nap. You will be in my very presence. You will be with me in paradise. And so he says, and he says, do you believe this? And my question tonight is, do you believe that? Do you personally? My hope and my prayer is you believe that, that you believe that with all of your heart. Now, the question that always comes into play is people go, I don't deserve it. Is there anybody here that deserves to go to heaven? No. What does Paul write to the church at Ephesus? He says, for by grace you've been saved through faith and not of works which any man can boast. It is the gift of God. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? What can you do with a gift? Two things. What can you do? You can receive it or you can reject it. Those, those are your options. It's a question, have you received the gift of salvation? That is the only way in. It's not what you know, but it's who you know. Amen. Knowing Jesus, gnosko, knowing him. He says, do you believe this, Martha? And she said, yes, Lord. She told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside for the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and he wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him and Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. And when Mary arrived and she saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
And when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. And he said, where have you put him? And they asked him, and, said, and then he told, they told them, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. It says, the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. Not how much Lazarus loved Jesus, but how much Jesus loved Lazarus. That's important. It says, couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? So here's that thing again. Couldn't he have done this? He just gave a guy eyes just a couple weeks ago. He spit on the ground and gave him eyes. He couldn't even save his friend. You can hear the skeptics, right? It says, Jesus was still angry. Angry? Did Jesus not know that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead? He did know, right? Why is he angry? What, what's your take? What do you think real quick? We've got just a few minutes. What do you, what do you think he was angry at? What, what was Jesus? He was angry. He knew he was going. He said, our friend Lazarus sleeps. He's going, and he says, he'll rise again. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, you think, does he not know? Why would Jesus be angry? What was he mad at? Was he mad at Lazarus for getting sick? All right? He was mad at sin. He was mad at sin because the wages of sin is what? It's death. The impact of sin, what we take so lightly, has wiped out all of creation in that sense. And it pained him to see what it does to people. See, you weren't wired for death. Have you ever struggled with the death of someone that you love? Does it hurt? Does it confuse you? Does it make it, you angry? You're not alone. Jesus, there's 74 times in the book of John alone, it talks about life. Jesus is all about life. John chapter 1, in him was what? Life. And his life was the light of men, right? John chapter 10 again, Jesus said that I have come that you might have what? Life. And not just life, but life what? More abundantly. Yeah, the fullness of life. And in verse 40, it says, they said, actually, let's back up. Verse 39, Jesus said, roll the stone aside. You can imagine they're going, no. It says, but Martha said, the dead man's sister protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. He's stinking. It says, the smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven. And he said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people that are standing here so they will believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. I love this. Many commentators say, what would have happened if Jesus had not said Lazarus, but he just said, come out? What would have happened if Jesus just stood there and go, come out? Every dead person in the ground would have come out. Isn't that awesome? You think about it, you go, cool. And one day he's going to say that, right? It says, but then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out or come forth. It says, and the dead man came out. His hands and feet were bound in grave clothes. His face was wrapped in grave clothes. His face was wrapped in a head cloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. You know, and you think about it. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. It's always about life. It reminded me of a, a joke about these three guys that were uh, sitting at a Bible study. And the pastor asked him, he said, hey, let me just ask you something. He goes, we're all going to die, right? It was a study in Hebrews. It's appointed man to die. He goes, let me ask you, he goes, what do you want people to say when they stand around your casket at your funeral? 
what do you want people to say? And so they look at each other for a minute. First guy, he says, I would like for people to say that he was a good doctor and he was a good family man. He loved his family. The second guy says, I would like for them to say that he was a, a good teacher and he was a great husband. And they look at the, the third guy and he's dumbfounded by the whole thing. He, he goes, I'd like to have people say, if I could hear him say whatever I want, he goes, I'd like to they go, look at me and go, hey, he's moving. That's what I want. I don't know about you, but I, I, that's what I would like. You go, but what did he do? And, and I just got to make this really quick. Two points I, I want to make with you in, to understand this. With regard to death, when you think about the love of Jesus for me and for you and what he demonstrated in the life of Lazarus, verse 35 there, it says, Jesus wept. Charles Spurgeon wrote this regarding John eleven thirty five. He said, there is infinitely more in these two words than any sermonizer or student of the word will ever be able to bring out of them, even though he should apply the microscope of the most attentive consideration. Just these two words here, you know, but, but I want you to think about the, that word there, weeping. In the Greek, it's eleo, and it means to wail. And when it says that Jesus wept there, it uses a word that wasn't used anywhere else in the New Testament, and it's the Greek word dakurio, and it means to silently weep or to burst out quietly in tears. Think about it, and here's Jesus, I mean, big tears rolling out of his eyes, down his face. Like I said, but he knows that he's going to be raising Lazarus from the dead, so you go, what is he crying about here? And, and why is John sharing this with us? And, and I think it's important that you and I get it. He wants us to understand that God enters into the sorrow that we feel. When you hurt, do you know this tonight, church, that God hurts with you? The Bible says in something beautiful that every tear that you've ever cried, that God has captured it in a bottle. And it pour, he pours it out on the altar that even your tears can be worshipped before God. But I love that when I think about our Jesus and the love that he has for us. And I was praying that, praying for John and Emily and the boys just their family, that tonight they would know as we're praying for them, that they would know that God has entered into their pain. And there is a pain. I know for myself, it's the weirdest thing I can tell you, but when my mom passed away in 2015, I felt like I was an orphan. I have two sisters and a brother, but I felt this emptiness in my life with my dad first going and then my mom, like I was an orphan. I didn't have it was, it was just an excruciating, painful experience. And I know my mom and dad are both in heaven. But I know that the Lord was there with me in that moment. But it definitely hurt. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15, it says, So then, since we have a great high priest, I want you to think about this. In Jesus, we have this great high priest, it says, Who entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. It says, Let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he would face all the same testings as we do, yet he did not sin. Can you imagine that? That this is how much he loves you, that he enters into your sorrow. When you hurt, he hurts. You will never, ever be alone. He made a promise to be with you. He doesn't back off from it. Matter of fact, it says there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He actually draws even closer. And so much, like I said, the mourners, they saw it because they said in verse 36, it says, see how much he loved him. Jesus could have prevented these sorrows, right? Think about it. He, he, he could have stopped it completely. They even said in verse 21, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But why didn't he? He obviously 
loved Mary and he loved Martha. He loves Lazarus too. But he wanted them to see he's not like the Greek gods. One of the interesting things when you study, my wife and I were in Greece this year and we studied a lot of what Greek beliefs were and everything else. And many of the Greek gods and goddesses, their chief characteristic, if you had to sum it up with a single word, it's the word apathia. It's where we get the English word, what? Apathy. That they don't care. All the Greek gods, they're known, they don't care. They don't enter into your sorrow. They don't give a hoot really about you. It's all about them. But here's Jesus, the God, true God of heaven. He enters into our sorrows. He enters into our hurt and he enters into our pain. Because remember, Jesus is saying, and he wants us to understand Father God's heart for you, your Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've what? You've seen the Father, yeah. That you'd know tonight, when you hurt and you sorrow, God enters into that sorrow with you. He's right there with you. You are never alone. And you think about it, Isaiah 53, 3 says, a man, speaking of Jesus, he was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with the deepest grief. Isaiah 63, 9 says, in all of their suffering, he also suffered. Isaiah 61, 1, when Jesus began his ministry, he said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released from prison and they will be freed. Revelation 21 reminds us, Jesus in John's revelation, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth have disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city and the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now amongst his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. But until that day, you can know that when you hurt, when you sorrow, when you deal with the pains of this life, your God is not, he's not apathetic. He loves you and he cares for you. And then the other thing, and the last word I want you just to think of as you look at this is the word anger. I don't know about you. Have you ever lost somebody and it made you angry? You got mad. You talk to people and they get mad at God. Maybe they get mad at the doctors or the nurses. It's a natural response. We want to blame somebody, right? We, somebody's responsible. Somebody needs to pay. If you look at the stages of grief, usually the first stage is denial, right? We're just in shock. We, we just can't believe that it happened. The second is anger. And yet we see Jesus demonstrating anger. Verse 33, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Then in verse 38, it says it again. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Matter of fact, in some translations, it says he wasn't just angry, that he was shaking. Have you ever got so angry you were shaking? That's what it says, that Jesus was so angry at death, so angry at the pain that it caused people, because that's what he saw. He saw them all crying. He saw them all weeping. He saw them all hurting. That matters to God. And it says, he, literally, Jesus, God, was shaking. It, it infuriated him because of what death did. It was never his plan. Because of sin, death entered into the world and it spread to all men. And he came to what? To save us from sin. And that's what ultimately is desire and why even in the resurrection, so that he would know. Because it's one thing if Jesus gets raised from the dead, right? We go, he deserved 
to be raised from the dead, right? Is there anybody here that doesn't think Jesus deserved? But if I asked you personally and privately, I go, do you think you deserve to be raised from the dead? Most of us would go what? No. But Jesus would tell you, yes. And you go, why? And you go, because you belong to me. I love the fact that Lazarus got raised from the dead, don't you? Because that tells us that what? Even common, stinky people, right, can get raised from the dead. I go, I, I like that. And this is the thing, the, a friend of Jesus, Renee, she didn't even know. That's what's so cool. Even what Renee brought up. Let's go. A relationship, an intimate relationship. Because you're my friend. And I hurt when you hurt. It makes me angry at what this has done in the world. Matter of fact, that, that word you know, that Jesus used, welled up there, groaning, means to snort like a horse. Have you ever got so mad that you snorted like a horse? My wife, she likes working with power tools. She'll be out in the backyard and she's working with something and I'll hear her out there. And she'll go like this. Sometimes it's or it's and I know that she's frustrated. I've only heard her cuss one time. Okay. One time that I heard her cuss. It's when the Dodgers did that thing with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, right? Had faith night. And then she goes, I'm not a Dodger fan anymore. No, she didn't cuss at that. She, but she, that night it was like, she was really frustrated. It was so much so that she gave up on the Dodgers, switched to the Texans. And God bless my wife for her step of faith. Because guess what happened? The Texans went on to what? Win the World Series. But she was frustrated on all this. But I love that. And Jesus is like, he's snorting. He's so frustrated when this situation that it's literally causing him to shake. And yet, like I said, I think when you, if you lose somebody, is it normal to get angry? You, but just don't get angry at God. Be angry at sin. Be angry at what sin did in bringing death into the world. And then allow the pain that you feel to bring you to God. Because again, the promise of God is Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he believes in me will what? Never die. So the closing thought on all this, again, have you put your hope and your trust in God? I hope that you have. And if you haven't, do it tonight. Because you know what? I don't know. I might not see you ever again. You, any of us can go at any given moment in time. The key is, are you prepared to meet your maker? And it's so easy to do. It's to open your heart to God's forgiveness that he made possible in Jesus Christ. And then, as we love to share with you all the time, you have the word of God. You want to walk with God. You want to know God. You want to go God's plan, his purposes. He saved you with a plan and a purpose. Walk with him. John Corson would say, read your Bible every day and pray, you know, just read your Bible, pray, it's not monologue, it's dialogue, read it, talk to God, let him talk to you, write things down, follow through with it, and walk the joy of the Lord. And then it's, there's no fear. That day that you go, and people go, they were good to go. I love when I can sit with a believer and they go, yeah, I, there's things I get, but you know what? Paul said, my desire is to go be with the Lord. You would know. And he goes, but for your sake, it's better that I stay here. And as long as God's got a plan for you this side of heaven, you'll be here. And when it's done, then you're ready to go home and be with him. And hopefully, like as we stand before him, we'll hear him say what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Because yeah, we were living 
for him and for his glory. And that way you have perfect peace. And it's such a wonderful thing at a funeral to be able to say, without a, any hesitation, I go, if I stand here as their pastor, I will tell you they knew the Lord, they loved the Lord, and they are with Jesus right now. And we could know that comfort. And I pray that you do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this group on Wednesday night who do love you so much and, Lord, are seeking you and enjoying you and sharing life together. Again, we just want to lift up John and his family and pray your comfort, your peace, and your joy, Lord, would be theirs tonight. I thank you so much for John's mom and the legacy, Lord, of her life and the love that she poured into this family. And Lord, I know her crown in heaven is full. And I thank you for that. And what a loss though it is for us. And there is a sorrow and there are tears, but I pray there wouldn't be anger, Lord, for us. The Lord that we'd recognize your anger is because of what sin did to us. You never created us for death. Death was a byproduct of our own sin and rebellion against you. You created us for life and life abundantly. And Lord, thank you that you've come to restore that. And may every heart here, everyone who's listening, God, may your joy fill their life tonight overflowing. May we leave with the peace, Lord, that you provide, a peace not that the world gives, but a peace in our heart that our, we're saved, not because of anything we've ever done, but because, Lord, we trust you and we believe in you and what you have done for us. Just like what you said in John 11 here, it's not, you didn't say Lazarus, the one who loves you, but you said Lazarus, the one whom you loved. And may every heart know tonight, God, you love us so much. And may we leave with that knowledge and that truth as we pray.